Okay, good morning. Today is Thursday, October 19, 2023. Uh, as you know, I'm traveling. I'm in northern Thailand and will be for a, another month and a half or two. Uh, therefore, <laughs> my routine is disrupted. Um, and I actually forgot <laughs> to upload the cosmology talk after giving it. That's why it was late a few days. But there'll be a, there'll be cases in the next few months where nothing is posted in a week, and that just because I'm not around or I'm busy or something something. So uh, expect uh, unreliability <laughs> or or irregularity. Regularity is he regular? Uh, uh, this is an irregular phase. So that's one thing. Today I want to do a second reading through of um, Introduction to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras from Alex Scott, who did a commentary. And it's pretty much uh, a run-through of basic principles. And today I'm going to continue that. Uh, two other things. One is Middle East situation. Today is the 19th. Uh, the Hamas action in Gaza and all that was uh, Saturday the 7th, so it's about almost two weeks since then. And uh, the third brief matter is um, some comments made in an email to me by a friend, a listener, whose name I won't give, but uh, just call him another Christian, and his view was sort of some <clears throat> integration or rephrasing in his own perspectives on the Confederation <laughs> and um, their multiple naive, ineffective, or mixed results uh, interventions on humanity in the last, uh, what, 15,000 years. Uh, and I'll start with that. And it's you've heard, you know it's similar to what I've said, but it's a nice packaging. And so, his view, he said, this is my humble exploration of thought for this matter. Number one, three points: the metaphysical design of higher density consciousness, four, five, and six confederation, makes it virtually impossible to understand the inner workings of the light dancing in third density configuration. Think of a human looking at a colony of ants. Sure, they understand the static third-density mind, but not how it interacts with abundant free will and complex karmic streaming. Uh, and he asked, Did the, is the veiling too strong? Number two, the Council of Saturn follows a logoic prime directive in regards to planet Earth. This directive has been achieved, which is an interesting point. And he wrote, positive fourth-density planet graduation over, or arrow over, meaning has um, trumped third self-destroyed planet, third density, you know, the third self-destroyed planet in the solar system, meaning um, the planet has been saved, regardless of whatever death occurs now. And then, <coughs> excuse me, as long as Confederation intervention doesn't violate this directive, meaning <laughs> lead humanity to be destroying itself, the Council approves their naive plans despite knowing of unintended consequences, thus serving as learned teaching experiences as well for the Confederation, which I've said, which I think is true, 
and three, which is a point that he made that I hadn't made that uh, was new and I think important, uh, he said, the seed of powerful light being planted by this intervention, or you could even say these, all these interventions, is eternally present, ready to be nurtured by adepts and those who seek within esoteric teachings. Could there be a Gautama, Nityananda, even a Christ, if there were not information technology shared by confederation thousands of years before their birth? Perhaps yes, perhaps not, which is a very wise way of putting it. And then he said, yes, we need grace. This group has suffered much, and grace is always freely given despite merits or lack of merit. <laughs> and so four important points there. I don't think that the metaphysical design of higher density consciousness or higher density consciousness is uh, unable to understand the inner workings of uh, this heavily distorted mind complex of individuals and the collective here. I think it's extremely difficult, not impossible. He said virtually impossible. I'd say, yeah, I think it's very difficult. But that's one, and that, and, and the difficulty that's intrinsic, inherent, is one reason that wanderers come. And some of us know that we're here uh, basically to um, learn and transmit, to, to observe and understand for ourselves more deeply what's going on here, the mind of humanity. <laughs> Uh, and our learning uh, goes to our family learning, goes upstairs too. And so <clears throat> uh, that's very important. Uh, and this point, they understand static third density mind, but not how it interacts with free will and karmic streaming. Um, it is extremely complicated, yeah. And so that's the point. The point is that... <clears throat> Uh, it's very difficult to understand distortion. Uh, and, you know, men have this common criticism of women. Um, you know, can't live with them, can't live without them. Women may have the same view of men. And so, <clears throat> uh, it's not necessarily their problem, it's our problem in not understanding properly. Uh, but... Uh, I don't want to get into all that, but um, one's problem, a problem with the other in any case, in any relationship, is commonly a problem of in, inadequate comprehension. If we comprehend adequately the other, whether it's a man understanding a woman or a woman or a man or confederation 3D, <clears throat> um, the problem is, you know, the problem lies within. <laughs> the problem is within ourselves, not in our stars, as they say. And the Confederation didn't know they didn't know. Uh, but it is true. It's very difficult. And so anyway, we, I don't want to beat that further, but uh, the basis of their ignorance, uh, the basis of their naivete, the basis of the... Uh, grievous consequences or the perversion of the antithesis, the antithetical consequences or <clears throat> humanity's uh, perversion of what was offered from healing to mind control and genocide <laughs> like crystal technology or pyramid technology or use of intelligent energy from healing <laughs> and well-being uh, to continue with love and light to enslavement, mind control, genocide, 
that is about as perverted as you can get uh, of those intentions or of um, the motivation of the uh, giver, as I say, in this case. And that's the result of um, inadequate knowing. Um, one has to, and that, that's very commonly the distinction between a mature mind and an immature mind. The mature mind knows how little it knows. The immature mind doesn't know how little it knows. The immature mind, the fool, the fool, le fou, le fou, um, thinks he knows and doesn't. The, the wise one, uh, or the wise mind, we don't even have to identify with the person, you know, identify it as, I'm wise and he's a fool. That mind is wise, that mind is foolish. The mind that's wise is in many ways wise because it realizes how little it knows. And thus the hand is open to keep receiving more. And then it must be understood that today's, you know, today's ceiling is tomorrow's floor. Today's ceiling is tomorrow's floor. Today's breakthrough is tomorrow's basis. And uh, if you live on the floor, like many Japanese do, uh, it's a problem. And so don't live on the floor. Stand up. And uh, <clears throat> you'll see that there's another ceiling. And you've got to... Uh, develop some dis dispassion for your achievements to get further achievements. <laughs> like, whatever it is, it is, okay. Uh, I'm not going to rest on my laurels, as they say. I mean, all of this was known by philosophers and wise men and women uh, for, the, you know, for thousands of years. It's just that today um, we are somewhat ahistorical and don't appreciate and don't know. But uh, <clears throat> knowing the variable mind, knowing how little we know, knowing that there must be much here I don't know, knowing that I only know a little, all that I know is only a little, a tiny drop. Thus, the Confederation would be a little bit more careful in the future. And his second point, <clears throat> uh, again, Similar to what I've said, Council of Saturn follows Logoic Prime Directive, non-intervention from start, or non-interference, non non-infringement. And the directive is achieved, <clears throat> and his view is that the planet already is surely going to 4D positive, and I think that's true. Uh, and so, so long as the Confederation doesn't, his view was, uh, so long as the Confederation doesn't do that which blows up the planet, they're allowed. Unfortunately, uh, psychotronics or DEW, electronic weaponry, crystal technology, intelligent information, as Ross said, that which has real power, that which uh, draws on prana, that which can access light or prana, <clears throat> electromagnetic, you know, the basis of electromagnetism, um, could destroy the planet. <laughs> Ross said we hope to... We, you know, these technologies are very powerful and dangerous. We wish, we hope to harvest your peoples in peace. So, uh, while uh, the council may know about unintended consequences, perhaps they've considered them not uh, sufficiently possible or extreme enough uh, to prevent, to, to say no to the uh, projects the, the, those projects laid before them from the Confederation, which we now say were misguided or naive or, you know, led to uh, perverted consequences. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
and then we get you know <laughs> to worrying about the Middle East today. But his third point, this is something I hadn't considered, which I think is true. That the confederation that Ra walked among humanity, that uh, other groups have done much. Thus, despite the uh, unintended grievous consequences and a lot of harm done, um, seeds were planted. Uh, seeds that make interdimensional access easier for seekers. Uh, I don't know if Gautama, Nityananda, and Yeshua would not, could not have been born had not the Confederation made their interventions, but it does rest on a pattern. And one can even say, actually, it may even be the case that the elders who know better than the naive Confederation members, there are, they have peers who are wiser than themselves, without a doubt. And they have superiors who are wiser than themselves, obviously. It may well be <laughs> that uh, Gautama, and there were other teachers. I mean, look at, the, look at my playlist, right? There were more than a few excellent teachers coming to humanity in the last 2,500 years or 4,000 years. The Vedas and then Gautama and then, you know, <laughs> Patanjali and uh, uh, Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu <laughs> and Heraclitus. Uh, and, and a whole bunch of other folks. I mean, Marcus Aurelius was a good guy. And uh, Apollonius of Tyana was an important figure, <laughs> if not the, you know, man from Earth. So it may well be that they, some of them, came in or had to come in or came in in response to the uh, screw-ups of the Confederation. <laughs> Who said, and they said, it's enough with technology transfer. Just give them pure philosophy. Mm hmm. Wow. That's an, what an idea. I guess Ra couldn't do that. Mm hmm. So then they did the raw material, which is their, their offering of pure spiritual philosophy and principles of soul evolution. Maybe those wouldn't have happened without the, you know, not just the seed of light, but the, but the seed of light that went awry or seeds of light that remain with other weeds sprouting. And thus, uh, more than a few uh, deep, uh, you know, highly mature souls came in East and West uh, to bring pure uh, spiritual philosophy principles of soul evolution. Maybe. So that's that point, or those points, and thank you very much, um, Christian, for that. Uh, then we have the Middle East, and... Honestly, the moment I um, heard about it 10 days ago, uh, I figured this is the second front and this will be a fight to the finish and this will be a fight to the death. And frankly, I don't think either side will back down. I don't think they can walk back what's going on here. Uh, atrocities on both sides, it seems to me. Uh, and there have been atrocities done by both sides on both sides for a hundred years or for a long time. There is a differential, but I don't want to get into it, and it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> it matters what you think. And complainers will complain and criticize and screech no matter. But uh, <clears throat> it, it, it will 
escalate. And, uh, you know, Israel is absolutely facing non-existence uh, because they won't be able to rebuild while uh, Lebanon and uh, Syria and Gaza and West Bank may all be flattened, uh, as well as uh, Tel Aviv. And um, Iran will get whacked real hard if that happens. But it's simply a, an open question how much Russia will defend Iran, who's defending Hezbollah, who says they're defending Hamas, who are the Gaza Palestinian people. So it, it's a very brilliant operation in the sense that it's going from the bottom up. And it's very serious. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, it's very serious because everybody's against Israel. And they're really, they're, there may be a sense in the, the Muslim nations, uh, the enemies, that it's enough. Uh, this whole thing, this whole problem has got to be put to rest finally, once and for all. And the, the, the result of that will be some kind of mutual destruction, of course. And uh, then the question will be, you know, does, does America, uh, do the... Do, 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 the carrier ships and strike force boats with their missiles and all that, whatever they have, their planes and missiles, are they going to really hit Lebanon, Hezbollah, when, which is pretty clear, Hezbollah uh, promise, you know, makes good on their promise to um, open a northern front if and when or as now uh, Israel is going full frontal attack in, gen in, in uh, Gaza, which looks like a genocide to me. So uh, I can't imagine Hezbollah will back down. Uh, as they said, Nasrallah is near or close. I think that's actually on its way. And uh, I can't imagine they'll back down, and I can't imagine Israel will back down, and I imagine the U.S. may back down. But the moment those ships start hitting Hezbollah or Lebanon, they're fair targets. <laughs> You think a few onyx sunburns, sunbeams couldn't take out uh, a dozen ships? Of course they could. That's from Iran. What can Hezbollah do? Who knows? I'm not a military analyst. And I'm really, you know, not fully on either side. I'm on the side of peace and honesty and um, harmony and uh, <clears throat> a mutual coexistence, peaceful mutual coexistence. I'm on the side of truth and justice as far as I can tell and uh, I'm against all supremacism other than the supremacism of, <laughs> of uh, intelligent infinity so the one infinite creator is the only one or the one that is supreme and all other humans and groups east and west, north and south, old and new you know of all creeds and colors any uh, human supremacism I'm uh, not into. <laughs> you do your thing. But uh, supremacists um, are basically service to self. It's pretty straight up service to self, the formation of the elite. And you've got that all over the place. And I just think this is going all the way. And where that would go, uh, you know, uh, Israel... Uh, flattens northern Gaza and there's uh, you know countless thousands of civilian deaths caused by their invasion uh, 
the world hears about it. Public opinion, as it is now, is divided and enraged against itself. One side on this, you know, one group on this side, one group on the other. That'll grow. Uh, riots in European cities in the U.S., maybe terrorism, uh, U.S., Europe, from all the different groups that are on various sides, will come. That, of course, is a perfect excuse for martial law, which sounds a whole lot like Anglo-Saxon mission, actually. It's Anglo-Saxon mission pre-ELE, or front-running ELE, extinction level event ELE, as I said. <laughs> maybe I won't talk about Patanjali today. Maybe we'll just talk on this 20 minutes in. I may talk about Patanjali just a little bit, but it'll be mainly um, World War III update. <clears throat> Maybe that'll be mainly what I'll talk about today. Because uh, this is, we're getting into the time that, that some of us, I remember people talking in the 80s and 90s, that, well, we're wanderers, we're, you know, here to help in the end times, to teach, and maybe there's some grandiosity to people's thinking about it. I'm here to be of service in the end times, the whole world's falling apart, and people will need help and guidance, and da-da-da. Um, yeah, that's kind of happening now. <laughs> that, that's actually where the world is. Um, the social structures are breaking down. Hate is massive on... Um, all sides, meaning this group against that group, and uh, we've got uh, the final Third World War in the Middle East, just as Albert Pike predicted, if that letter to Mazzini is true, but yeah, just as um, countless seers, Christian seers said, um, uh, Baba Vanga, I don't know if it's Baba, Baba, Baba means father, but uh, the blind seer, a Bulgarian woman, and <laughs> Dimitru Duduman, and some other Christian fellows, and ladies, and seers, uh, and uh, John of Patmos, uh, Book of Revelation. Uh, this is it. And uh, we do, uh, to the extent that we keep our head and our balance, we can be uh, of service and helpful to people around us, um, if they wish, if uh, we are able. And that's just as we uh, knew it would be. Uh, but there's nothing grandiose about it. And it, it also depends on, we have to be careful that some people, what we think is helpful information, some people may consider as the mark of our evil. If we're talking about certain things, people may blame us if we simply share our opinion or hate us. And there's a lot of hate going around. So don't, uh, don't, don't, don't waste your time trying to help the haters. They'll probably turn their hate on you. Do, do whatever you want. But I wouldn't waste my time hating, uh, working with haters or hating haters. I do that. We all have hate. Let's try not to get stuck in hate like some people are. Uh, but intense feeling will come up. And also, I mean, honestly, Pluto going into Aquarius or moving towards that, I believe it's Pluto in Aquarius, uh, that, that, that is, um, I don't know if it's for America or, or planetary, uh, that will dredge, uh, that, that will both dredge up, um, as we see, um, countless 
uh, you know, undigested food and unresolved issues and old wounding and old grudges and old hatreds and old issues and dynamics um, moving towards the Aquarian light, you know, the age of Aquarius, and uh, that's 4D positive. But like Martin Armstrong says, I think uh, the, the civilization <clears throat> will, will collapse and then reboot, and 10 years from now, 2032 or 2033, uh, the dust will have settled. So just hang on for the next 10 years. We'll find a tree <laughs> in a remote location and uh, make your stand. That's one way to do it. I'm joking. But it, it's really, I, I, I think that it's not unlikely that Israel goes full tilt into Gaza. There are countless civilian deaths. World opinion remains divided, but those that uh, are against Israel are more, more enraged and like this hospital bombing or hospital death situation, who did it? I don't know. All, all I know is that atrocities continue on both sides, at least certainly to the Palestinians, and both sides. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's like if, if you don't agree with somebody, go your own fucking way. <laughs> you know, we should go our way and they should go their way. If you if people don't like what somebody's saying, you know there's something called turn the turn the dial. There's something called change the channel. You know, if you if you uh, get stuck hating the people you think are hating, or get stuck with the haters, uh, there's no good to come out of it. You'll simply we'll simply have to pull out of it at some point after we realize the futility of talking to those that don't want to talk with us or they think they hate us or they hate somebody just leave it just drop it go on to something useful but you know uh, <clears throat> uh, this this is a perfect opportunity for three minutes hate and that's a perfect cover for you know globalists Illuminati taking the next steps to world government technocracy uh, transhumanism depopulation Deagle 2025 and the whole Agenda 2030 and all that. <clears throat> so that's moving right along. Uh, so Israel goes in hard. They kill tens of thousands of civilians. World opinion hardens against Israel, but but they're you know people hardened against the, the Hamas and Arabs in general. That'll continue. And Lebanon, uh, Hezbollah makes good on their promise, and Syria as well. And <clears throat> then there's a second front, and it's a matter of um, when are they, when, if and when Hezbollah will use its 100,000 plus plus rockets and, and level critical infrastructure, including civilian, including cities, Tel Aviv, Haifa, in Israel. They can. Uh, it won't be stopped, meaning they don't have adequate air defense. Then what? Will they? Won't they? At some point, I imagine they will. <clears throat> do they do that after the U.S. Uh, sends, you know, the, the, does rocketing off the coast from their ships in the Mediterranean? Then what? Will Iran get involved? I would think so. Uh, then what? 
then America hits Hezbollah and Iran, or they wait for Iran, they only hit Iran, or what? Well, then what? Does Russia sit by when a top world-class superpower like the U.S., as is Russia and China, the three, I would say, are the only hyperpower superpowers, they're second-tier levels of nations, but <clears throat> I think we know the top. Jirinovsky, the prophet, the seer Jirinovsky, said, you know, <laughs> nothing matters except for what's decided in Washington and Brussels and Moscow and Beijing. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, really, other than those four capitals. Washington, Brussels, Moscow, and uh, Beijing. Uh, I think that's true. Jaranovsky called this also. And uh, <clears throat> uh, then what? So, so it's really going to be a matter of Russia will either be able to or not be able to stop the U.S. Navy and, and all of their assets from directly hitting Le uh, Iran. They won't stop them from hitting Hezbollah, but uh, they might get involved when the <clears throat> uh, U.S., as one of the three superpowers, crosses the level and goes to the second level, you know, a, a lower power, Iran. Uh, Israel is not a superpower in the same way as the U.S., Russia, and uh, China. So they're the three superpowers and NATO, EU, follows the U.S., or controls the U.S., or they're birds of a feather. Beijing, Russia, will Beijing, Moscow go together, too. Will, or, will they or won't they act against the U.S. if and when the U.S. acts against Iran? Or Hezbollah. <clears throat> so, I think their thinking is probably Iran has Hezbollah's back, so if the U.S. does something directly in Lebanon, we won't get involved. But if they're going to hit the nuclear reactors in Iran, which is what Israel and the U.S. has longed for for years, I would be surprised if Russia sits on the, on the sideline. Putin doesn't want any of this, but, you know, sorry, you're <laughs> this is your destiny, friend, uh, to be part of this. And you've got to set, you've got to, you, you can't be an accommodationist forever, Mr. Putin. You have to choose a side and, and live it. And I think they probably already have in the sense that they realize uh, big change is necessary. But that's going to go on and it'll get, I imagine, worse and worse. And so you better take care of yourselves and your family and your loved ones. And if you don't like where you're living, you probably should move <laughs> as soon as possible. If you don't like where you're living, strongly. Um, but if you need to be there, you got to sacrifice, and that's that. So anyway, those are just my minor views on the matter. But uh, don't think that this is ending anytime soon, and don't think this is minor. And um, Martin Armstrong called it out. <laughs> you know, they'll yes, there'll be a world war, and um, he said they'll use nuclear, and that is very possible. It may not be, you know nuclear winter, uh, full thermonuclear exchange east-west a la threads or the war game or the day after, uh, but it may go that far. I, or it, it, it's, I mean, I wouldn't put anything off the table 
I know I don't know. So um, it's not a time for um, silliness. <laughs> it's a time to be serious. And yet, you know, this too shall pass and we won't be here forever. And um, I mean, I really think, I, I have a feeling that, that the axis of resistance, uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, and, and the whole bunch of them that are involved here directly, they basically have the view, I think, that, that death is a whole lot preferable than uh, endless continuance of this situation. And that they will uh, die for the next generation. The next generation won't have to go through, or future generations won't have to go through what they're going through. I think that's their perspective. At least in um, you know, Gaza, West Bank, uh, Lebanon. So, and you know, if you don't agree with me, actually, I don't even need to hear from you. You can send me emails if you want to do that for yourself, to yourself, but I just don't want to hear it, you know? Take your opinions and enjoy them. Uh, and, you know, I'm against supremacism. How about you? <laughs> Are you into it, supremacism? Not me. Uh, nowhere. And... Um, but this is, um, I think it's going to be a fight to the finish. And uh, the question is simply the radius of destruction. Does it go from <laughs> the eastern Mediterranean ships uh, through uh, <laughs> Egypt, Gaza, Israel, West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, <laughs> all of that? Possibly, actually, possibly, that that whole zone may be flattened. So that I wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I would imagine the superpowers will cut certain deals and let everybody kill themselves. So that's commonly what happens. Okay, <laughs> that's an introduction or that's part one. 34 minutes out. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So, last time we went through the first one-third or so of the page from Alex Scott, 2002, on uh, Yoga Sutras. It's basically a rundown. And for those who know, this is very... Uh, much, of what's, uh, much of what Patanjali shares is similar to the 37 Bodhipakya Dhamma, um, the critical Dhammas to be known in Buddhist Theravadan tradition and, and on, associated with um, uh, that which is helpful and that which is harmful, associated with body, mind, or behavior and mind states. Includes Shila, Panchashila from Buddhism, includes Yama Niyama, includes, you know, what not to do and to do. But it goes beyond that to mind states. And this is basically um, Patanjali, the, the Alex Scott's rundown of Patanjali's summarizing of what Gautama put into Dhammapada 183, 184, the, the heart of Buddha Dhamma, as Buddha Dasa said. Um, avoid or put down evil and harmful ways, pick up and cultivate uh, helpful and beneficial ways, including generosity, 
and purify mind. So put down the harmful, pick up and develop the helpful, um, and purify mind. And so this is exactly what's being detailed here. Uh, what I and where I started was two points: the uh, Changsu statement, uh, "Power gathers where there is stillness." Power gathers where there is stillness, and then the uh, basic uh, purpose of potentially writing Yoga Sutra or what the heart of yoga is, defining yoga in the section 1.2, citta vritti niroda, cessation of mental fluctuations. So it's the niroda of citta vritti. Citta as a catch-all term for mind, but it's particularly personal mind or subjective consciousness, which may be inclusive of uh, lower concrete and upper abstract, said by Bailey, same as Nityananda, saying that you've got manas and buddhi, the analytical, you know, logical, linear functioning of mind in knowing, in perceiving, observing, correlating, comparing, determining. And then you've got a more intuitive function of um, uh, direct apprehension, knowing without having, without um, direct knowing, not, not requiring a linear process of thought, knowing free of thought form, uh, sequence, meaning there's not a sequence that leads to buddhi, there's just aha, like epiphany. So, okay, all of that may be related to citta, uh, citta vritti, the fluctuations or uh, uh, mental permutations, <laughs> mental um, activities, fluctuations, <clears throat> that's what this is all about, and so the purpose of avoiding the harmful and picking up and cultivating the good is to establish a foundation for purifying mind. So one and two go together, and they support number three. Just like Shila supports Samadhi, and Shila-based Samadhi supports Prajna or Panya, the wisdom, and then eventually insight, super-mundane wisdom. Uh, so it, it's a surprisingly... Um, consonant, resonant, in some cases identical to um, Pali Buddha Dhamma, the, some of what uh, Patanjali is teaching. And like I said last time, I think you can be damn sure he had contact with Buddhist bhikkhus, uh, but he also uh, is formulating or reformulating uh, essential Vedic teaching from before the Buddhist, before Gautama. So, that paragraph, it's one, two, three, fourth paragraph, Patanjali defines yoga as citta vritti niroda, cessation of mental functions. Vyasa's commentary on the first sutra explains that citta, which they define or explain, this is again his translation of these words, uh, citta as thinking substance or principle or mind, has five stages, restless, torpid, distracted, focused, and then restricted. This restricted niruda, relating to niroda, means, um, I mean, what, control the mind? Well, some yogis will control mind. There's a place, I think, for that hard control, like just stop. 
but to the degree there's dishonesty and unwillingness to accept, uh, then that's a problem. This is also you know the difference between control and restraint. But that's a whole long discussion. So uh, yoga is uh, the the last two stages. Uh, ikagra, ikagra, and niruda classified as yoga. Focused and restricted means concentration and stillness, or uh, the uh, ending of mental fluctuations. And so, two paragraphs down, uh, a point that I think is also important, mental fluctuations may be caused by latent or subliminal impressions, samskaras, that's the way they define the word. Subliminal impressions may be caused by mental fluctuations, so there's interplay between the uh, manifest thinking and mental process, the conscious, and the subconscious, or the not yet manifest, called subliminal, uh, called that's um, not kleshas. Um, I forgot the word. Anyway, uh, the deeper mind uh, vasanas uh, exist and take a, and are very difficult to uh, release, have release, have released or be detached from and thus release themselves naturally. The deep mind is not conscious. <laughs> and so that's one of the purposes of um, uh, Anapanasati or mindfulness sati practice. Mindfulness practice uh, disables the, uh, weakens the veil between the conscious and subconscious. It thins the membrane, thins the veil, opens doors, makes the subconscious conscious, just like Freud or Jung talked about, it allows the subconscious to become conscious. And that means that the vasanas come into consciousness. And then you see, oh, <laughs> it, it, even if I have a quiet mind, there still are all these um, pre-conscious uh, impulses that... Um, that um, basically uh, f- impel the mind's activity to some degree, sometimes. The mind is driven or thoughts are spit up uh, not consciously, not deliberately by the conscious mind. We don't deliberately do all of what's happening in the mind, obviously. <clears throat> some part of the, what's happening in the mind is these vasanas, or what they're calling subliminal impressions, samskaras, the deeper level uh, coming through drives the conscious level, and then we end up, you know, being triggered. But there's much more going on even without triggering. <laughs> the the trigger, trigger ability exists independent of triggering, meaning just because I'm not being triggered doesn't mean uh, there isn't triggerability meaning unconscious vasanas, tendencies, patterns, beliefs, desires, misinterpretations, uh, what's felt as a, a need that we're not even aware of. The need to talk a lot, the need to be silent, uh, need, uh, a core, deeper desire, 
I think I should be this way. Or I want people to see me a certain way. Or I want to see myself a certain way. Or I don't like being a certain way. Even if it, it's, you know, very subtle. Usually this stuff is very subtle, the deep mind. So, <clears throat> so they understood there was a subconscious. Absolutely, that's where you get East-West psychology or <laughs> Hindu-Buddhist psychology. They're very aware that there's a subconscious that is associated with craving and clinging and grasping aversion ignorance that has got to be stilled or cleared or uh, dealt with. And it's it, that's a whole other story. It's not like a person has to be completely purified because... Anyway, it, it goes on and on. But I will get to the new material. The new material starts two paragraphs down in the one that starts according to Patanjali. And we're at 44.55. So <laughs> uh, let us move uh, through some new paragraphs here. According to Patanjali... Mental fluctuations are modifications, vritti, of chitta. So chitta vritti means modifications or uh, fluctuations are modifications, mm -hmm. meaning dancing thoughts. So mental fluctuations uh, are modifications, vritti, of chitta, mind stuff or thinking substance, or mind field. These modifications include valid cognition, Invalid cognition, concepts which don't refer to any corresponding reality, dreamless sleep, or absent cognition, and memory. <laughs> These mental fluctuations may be hindered or unhindered. So it gets into high detail. This fivefold classification is, um, you know, there could be others, <laughs> obviously. But it is at, at least, you know, I'm not saying that. Uh, this system is better or worse than Gautama or Buddha, Buddha Dhamma, Bodhipakya Dhamma, and all that. Uh, this is another way of looking at, you know, the 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 work, the yoga work, the work of accelerated soul evolution, which is to deliberately identify what's harmful and put it down, not pick it up deliberately, intentionally recognize virtue and then higher levels of virtue and deliberately, intentionally pick it up and cultivate it. And all of that supports purification of mind and is the first stage of purification of mind. The first step of samadhi is shila. And um, this is simply an alternate system that has a huge overlap. And, you know, because... Um, the work of avoid the harmful and cultivate the good to purify mind and go all the way, this is not Buddhist or Hindu. <laughs> it's not human. It's, metaphysic, it's metaphysical law. The seven chakra, seven energy field subjective beingnesses who imagine themselves as a being or <laughs> seven dimensional... Mm, Mind, body, spirit, beingness, totality, complices, such as we ourselves, as a manifestation of infinity, um, develop subjectivity and grasping aversion, ignorance, 
uh, craving and clinging, uh, and uh, got to work ourselves out of it, or that system needs to purify itself, and thus we've got attention on body and mind and spirit, or lower, middle, high, or lower, higher, or balance, healing, balance, integration. That's not, this is simply an Advaita Vedanta related uh, Vedantic yoga heart pith teaching from Patanjali. Uh, the Taoist has an excellent system too, Gautama as well. Uh, Yeshua gave some portion of teaching and others, of course. It's uh, their contribution for your uh, investigation. <laughs> So, okay, you've got these different types of mental fluctuations or modifications. There is valid cognition, pramana, and there are, um, there is the importance of seeing clearly, even if it's illusory and relative, because it helps us move beyond illusory and relative, using fire to fight fire. and so they may be hindered or unhindered. They may be useful or unuseful. Memory can be useful, but if we're attached to it, it can be, it's a big problem. Invalid cognition should be recognized as such, but if it isn't, it's a big problem. <laughs> Going on. So then he breaks down each of the five. Pramana, valid cognition, may arise from perception, inference, or verbal testimony. Uh, this is similar to um, manas and buddhi. Valid cognition meaning knowing truth or being able to put into words some approximation of reality. Uh, perception meaning of this of the material world and inference uh, being of some mental process. And here you get into all the complexities of um, Hindu scholasticism. But he says, Patanjali maintains there are three valid sources of knowledge, perception, inference, verbal testimony. However, viparayaya, viparayaya, invalid cognition is wrong knowledge, which can create an illusion or misconception about something, dot, dot, dot. And you'll see the exact same types of mistaken cognition in the next paragraph as core in Buddhism, <laughs> in terms of the three, the, the three marks, three characteristics. So viparayaya, back to, we're continuing this discussion of valid versus invalid cognition, pramana versus viparayaya, valid versus invalid, meaning uh, seeing clearly, which is relative and illusory, but it's useful to move out of the relative and the illusory. And then there's not knowing the relative and the illusory as such and getting uh, stuck in misunderstanding and fantasy. So, viparayaya, wrong wrong knowledge, may be caused by five hindrances or afflictions. (laughs) The Buddhists, Gautama didn't pioneer listing. Listings were done by the Hindus and the Vedanta, Vedanta community long before Gautama. So you've got five hindrances or afflictions, which they call kleshas, ignorance, ego, egoism, attachment, aversion, and fear of death. And again, these are English translations of Sanskrit. So you've got five, the, what they call five afflictions, 
that cause wrong knowledge or <laughs> avidya includes avidya, <laughs> ignorance, avidya, asmita, or egoism, <laughs> or eighth fetter, attachment, raga, raga is commonly translated as desire, aversion, vesha, indeed, and fear of death. So you've got, first of all, in those five, you've got the three, um, the three poisons or three unwholesome roots. Number one, avidya. Number three, a raga. Number four, aversion, right? Grasping, aversion, ignorance. So in the five that lead to wrong knowledge or misunderstanding, you've got um, the three poisons or three unwholesome roots, plus egoism, which is the eighth fetter, and fear of death, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, avidya, this take from Patanjali, Avidya is the field upon which the other hindrances may be dormant, attenuated, interrupted, or sustained. So, <laughs> before there was uh, Abhidhamma, there was Vedanta. And some of the Buddhist Abhidhamma, uh, Buddha Gosha et al., is doing the same type of uh, academic or scholastic or very uh, precise analysis of um, spiritual teachings regarding conduct, regarding mind states, regarding what's helpful and harmful. And they go into extreme detail just like Abhidhamma does. <laughs> so you've got Abhidhamma and you've got Patanjali. Much of it is similar. So their understanding of Avidya, or his understanding, as the field in which all sorts of uh, distortion arises is... Um, not much different or pretty resonant with Buddhism where the tenth fetter or the start of the whole problem of uh, reincarnation and false, you know, egoism or subjectivity, grasping aversion, ignorance, the whole start is avidya, the basic avidya. So it said, avidya is a cause of mistaken, uh, mistaken tendency to, to identify the impermanent as permanent and the not-self as self. Huh? <laughs> is this Hinduism or Buddhism? So based on basic avidya, you know, you are dancing thoughts, uh, the thought, the belief that, no, I am a substantial person, solid and, and what, separate from all, that avidya leads to every other problem. Uh, but particularly identifying impermanent as permanent. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the way it's understood in Buddhism, that the problem with the three marks is we don't see them. Grasp, you know, uh, anicca, natta, dukkha, impermanent, insubstantial, or not self, and stressful, or dukkha, painful, dissatisfactory. We think the impermanent is permanent. We think the not self is self. We think the... Uh, stressful is not stressful. We think there is uh, a substantial, solid, separate self. We think there that that mind states are substantial. We think that um, that which is impermanent isn't or lasts long. Or we take the impermanent as substantial. We take uh, unity as duality. <laughs> we take. Infinite, infinity and unity as 
duality, many-ness, and some kind of solid uh, center point uh, agency of, of selfhood. Uh, and we take all sorts of dukkha, sukha dukkha as sukha sukha. <laughs> there is sukha, but it's sukha dukkha. Or there is pleasure and happiness, and there is love, and there is joy, and there is bliss. And they're all impermanent. And they're impermanence and they're insubstantial. Yet they're pretty darn lovely when you're in them. Yet they end. And there's stress upon that. And even when you're in them, you can't hold them. Maybe trances can be maintained for a while, but not indefinitely. So it's not that there's a problem with them. It's just <laughs> they are impermanent and not the goal. So this is exactly the way the three marks is discussed in Buddhism, that people don't see them, don't take them. And we go chasing and chasing pleasure and sukha, not realizing that the whole thing is a sukha dukkha at best, and um, taking uh, our, our, our mind uh, as a self. <laughs> the mind is not a self. Awareness is not a self. What is a self anyway? <laughs> Identity? What's that? A substantial personhood agency. Well, there is agency, but um, is it separate from totality? Well, <laughs> only the enlightened would know it's not. Anyway, so avidya, cause of mistaken tendency to identify impermanent as permanent, not self as self. Asmita, called egoism here is a cause of mistaken tendency to identify intellect, buddhi, as pure consciousness, purusha, just what I said, <laughs> or better, to identify buddhi as purush. Forget about his translation of buddhi as intellect and purush as pure consciousness. How about buddhi, mind, and, chit, and chitta, to take that as selfhood, as personhood. That's exactly what I said. That's exactly what Patanjali said, it seems. Identifying, it's a case of mistaken identity, where this one thing is identified as another thing. Buddhi, which is a higher function of chit, and chit as a whole, including the lower functions, taken as selfhood, taken as personhood, taken as a purush. Buddhi is not Purush, uh, and Buddhi is not Vijnana, or Buddhi and Vijnana, Vijnana are self, separate. I'm sorry. Buddhi, Buddhi is very similar to Vijnana. Uh, it's, it's the sense of selfhood, the Atta, that uh, gives rise to what we call uh, Vijnana subjective consciousness. Here it's taken as pure consciousness. The, the idea here is that um, buddhi is taken as the self with a capital S, which is the goal in their system of words. <laughs> uh, the self as a goal in the Vedas or Advaita Vedanta doesn't mean uh, endless me. <laughs> it means uh, all totality is I the one. But that's not that's that's nowhere near uh, our personal sense of self. It's it's the emptying out of a personal sense of self. So, 
taking uh, Vijnana, I see Vijnana and Buddhi are very similar, and so uh, Gautama said, even Vijnana is born of ignorance, meaning even subjective consciousness is born of avidya, of course. And they're saying, <laughs> Patanjali saying the same thing, that um, this second klesha, asmita, is the same as uh, um, Ramana Maharshi is talking about um, ahamkara. Ahamkara is the process, is a term of, is, is aham karm, karma, the making of aham, the making of a, self, of a subjective selfhood. That's the eighth fetter that needs to be broken, that making of uh, a personhood, imagining that buddhi is personhood, imagining that I is a person, rather than I is, you know, I and I. <laughs> I is what it is, beyond definition, actually. Uh, people get stuck when they uh, substitute a limited definition for uh, for a greater limited definition, <laughs> a smaller limit to a greater limit. That when you you know David Ike falls into this all the time. All these people do. Um, you are God. You are love. You are this. You 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 are holy, spiritual, the one, the light, the bhamana. Uh, it, it actually leads to some kind of uh, spiritual materialism, uh, spiritual grandiosity, in, ego inflation. It become, it's a spiritual egotism as opposed to a materialist egotism. <laughs> you either identify as body-mind, as a common charvaka, the common charvakas, the materialists, identify as body and say, I, this personality in this body, um, am, uh, even if I uh, die, uh, this, this I that, that is born of the body dies with the body, therefore everything related to the material world and body and society is all that, value, all that matters. But the spiritualist that is stuck in spiritual identity basically says, no, I am the light, I am dancing thoughts, I am the one self, I am God, I am the one infinite creator, I am intelligent infinity, I, I, I. Uh, that, that whole thing has to end as well. So there's uh, physical materialism and there's spiritual materialism and there is materialist identity and there's spiritualist identity, uh, <laughs> both of which are uh, kleshas. And so, asmita, cause of mistaking identity, a tendency to identify intellect, buddhi, as purush, or a subjective personhood, or the one self of eternity, you know, the one light, purush, as godhead. So you can say purush as a person, purush as godhead, fine. Uh, it's, it's, it's the delineation that's the problem. Uh, to make a self, to, to concoct, that's sankara, as uh, fourth skanda, as fabrication. The fabrication of identity is the problem. Whether it's a materialist identity or a spiritualist identity, you know, reality is unfabricated. Sat, <laughs> uh, uh, tat, is need, needs no fabrication. It is. 
that's where we say tat, uh, tat such, thus. Uh, existence is, reality is. Uh, and, and those under avidya fabricate. Fabricate identity, thus uh, fabricate <laughs> all the other kleshas. And um, the five skandhas are fabrication, <laughs> you can say. Uh, so, all right, then raga, which is normally, here they translate it, it's translated as attachment, it's also desiring, desirousness. Raga is the cause of the failure to perceive spiritual reality of the self as being different from the material reality of prakriti. And so here you see, when he said um, asmita, so-called egoism, is the cause of the mistaken tendency to identify buddhi as purush, it means identifying buddhi as supreme self where Purush is Supreme Self, which, you know, <laughs> wouldn't, uh, wouldn't pass muster with a Buddhist. However, the deathless is Purush, but it's not a guy. <laughs> Purush, Sat Purush, um, Maha Sat Purush, uh, Supreme Personality, like Krishna as the Supreme Personality, is not of dualism or separation or the individuality it's of unity and infinity. So if you are right with that kind of Purush, then we can say Supreme Self. So it's the idea that um, there is a, an identity, but it's non-dual. So when they say Purush as a self with a capital S, Supreme spiritual reality of the self, which Nityananda doesn't do, you say. Nityananda talks about... Uh, uh, Satchitananda or Satchit or Parambrahman or Paramatman Paramatman Brahman Satchit Satchitananda the bliss of Satchit Tat Satchit this is not a person but it could be called uh, Supreme Self Purush Mahapurush Sat Purush it's, it's problematic obviously <laughs> because we have this tendency to think that uh, mind-body-spirit complex is a self. Mind-body-spirit complex is a vehicle, not the owner of the vehicle. <laughs> the, the, the source of the vehicle um, is what uh, is, is the goal, returning to the source of the vehicle, which is the source of light, mm -hmm. which is the Logos, <laughs> which is uh, not a self of a personal nature, uh, and there's no fabrication needed. That's the point. End fabrications. And so power gathers where there's stillness. Stillness includes stilling the uh, hamkara, the making of eyehood, the fabrication, the, the by nature false identity uh, that's fabricated. And then the 10,000 <laughs> other kleshas that come out of that, including grasping and aversion of all sources and craving and clinging. So, but this is a very interesting point and it's a well-known desire by desire, which is in Buddhism, craving, clinging, tana, you know, upadana, as the, uh, and you can say that it's very, you know, and the, um, the first seven fetters <laughs> lead up to breaking the eighth fetter. The first seven fetters include all sorts of raga, <laughs> 
the raga of uh, the the thirst for becoming and thirst for (laughs) non-becoming and basic desire, you know, grasping and aversion, all their fetters, wrong views of self and things like that. Attachment to rites and rituals and doubt and Buddha Dhamma Sangha. These are all um, fetters born of craving and clinging that interplay strengthening uh, fabricated false identity. (laughs) If you're still with me. So, uh, yeah, it's just that this system of Patanjali, later Shankara um, and all the Advaita Vedanta folks uh, talking about non-duality today, just and and uh, Ramana Maharshi, but not Nityananda, and and not so much um, Nisargadatta. I don't know how much Nisargadatta is talking about supreme self, but anyway, it's all very interesting and it goes on and on. But it's the differences between Ramana Maharshi, very much leading with Green Ray. It seems to me doesn't mean he's stuck in green ray. It means he leads with love. And Nisargadat that leads with mind, leading with blue ray. And Nityananda that leads with, with indigo. <laughs> you want green, blue, indigo? Try Ramana Maharshi, Nisargadat, and Nityananda. Okay. While uh, those are three approaches. And so leading with love over wisdom or... The, one of the common ways is to identify the goal as supreme self, which is okay to me if you understand that this self is not separate, is not different than intelligent infinity or the deathless. Because it isn't, it, it isn't a me, but it is an I. And the Rastafarians say I and I, you know. Uh, see the self and creator is all one. So anyway, uh, it's just an important point that all forms of uh, craving, clinging, or here, raga, leads us to not know what I is, but take buddhi as atma. Take buddhi as a... a, It's taking... I mean, see, they're, they're basically saying... Buddhi is taken as uh, the true self, where the true self is intelligent infinity. In my book, uh, the true self is the deathless. They, they, you, you can taking the intellect. The intellect is taken as both um, the supreme self in their system and the uh, false fabricated atma in a Buddhist perspective. Whether you're, you know, taking the supreme uh, down or you're making a false supreme, whatever, it's the same kind of thing where there's a fabricated identity. Uh, what, what, is, what is your identity free of fabrication? <laughs> what is your nature? What is true nature free of fabrication? Well, we very quickly cut away I and your and mine. I mean, mind goes away pretty fast. So then we're not talking about my true nature. My. We're talking about true nature. And it's certainly free of um, possession, <laughs> possessiveness. 
And then finally, there are two others here which are called um, other kleshas, I guess. Dvesha uh, is the tendency to dwell upon pain, <laughs> indeed. Good for the, uh, t- common for the aversion types. And then Abhinivesha, uh, Abhinivesha, instinctive fear of death or sense of threatened annihilation, right? Uh, annihilatory dread. So that comes in down the line <laughs> uh, before breakthroughs. If this is useful, wow, 112. That's it for today. <laughs> this is outside of uh, time tracking. So a lot of words, um, but actually they're core principles. <laughs> and maybe I talk too fast and say too much, indeed. Yet, um, one must build a fine raft to um, let it blow away in the wind later when, uh, when unneeded. You know, the Tibetans make astoundingly beautiful sand mandalas and then uh, brush them away. So, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, eternal beauty never ends, or beauty is eternal. So, okay. Um, that'll be it for today. I hope it was useful. Uh, as the world burns, or some portion of it, not everywhere, it's not burning here in Chiang Mai, uh, so it's it's very helpful, all I can say from my little vantage point is that it it's very helpful to be in a place where you like to be. It it takes care of the lowest level called body. And that ain't too bad. Then you gotta take care of health and food and dot dot dot. But being in an environment that's harmonious really is helpful. Really. <laughs> At least I think so. And that's why yogis withdraw from society. So, um, make your make your space um, pure and well for yourself, however you wish. So that's it for today. Thank you for being here. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.